Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Six months. Six months in to the 2022 MMA calendar. Or, or I guess by the time people listen to this, maybe a few days away from that mark. But yes, we are, we are approaching June. We've got a full half slate of MMA events and cards and highlights and fights and all that under our under our belts, people. So, hi, this is uh, the voice of Alexander K. Lee from MMA Fighting. I am joined by the rest of the esteemed MMA Fighting team, Damon Martin, Jed Mishu, and Stephen Morocco. And we are here to talk mid-year awards. Uh, again, I'm sure as soon as I say that, you guys have, you guys who are listening have like a dozen different highlights running through your mind. So please keep those in mind. But I'll tell you right now, our team, the list we came up with for best knockout, best submission, best fight, we were all in agreement. And I think uh, a lot of you will land in the same place that we did. But uh, mm-hmm. by the time you're hearing this, we'll, there will be an accompanying article to go along with the mid-year awards. And then on Sunday, hoping get my timing right with this, on Sunday, there will also be a predictions article. And we're going to talk about that on today's show as well. But uh, again, I want, I want to remind you guys, I am joined by you guys. Introduce yourselves. We are here with Damon Martin. Hello. I am so excited to talk about half year awards because inevitably it's going to irritate somebody. <laughs> That's why we do this. Uh, and, and a man who knows this better than anyone, Jed Mishu. Yeah. You know, I'm just coming off drafting. I think clearly the best all-star team. If this was an NBA all-star draft, my team would absolutely run both you and uh, Mike's AK. So I'm in a great headspace for this. Jed still fired up from our Between the Links uh, podcast, which you guys can listen to on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network. And then, of course, podcast network. The brilliant minds, the brilliant, we go from Jed to a brilliant mind who uh, supplied uh, the music that you guys just heard as our show started, Steve Morocco. Your happy bouncy himself. Um, I wouldn't put it past us to <laughs> no one disagree. is gonna know what happy bouncy i'm sorry yeah. the song is no, called it's, happy it's, ba- I'm the getting, song is called happy bouncy i'm getting a little bit inside baseball i'm starting this on the right foot i think <laughs> is what i'm doing but um if if our agreement is any indication i would hope that would mean that you know people just meet us with unanimous praise uh listening to all of our choices but this is mma and i'm sure somebody will disagree 
Everyone has unanimous praise in MMA, Stephen. What are you talking about? We never disagree in this sport. Yeah, I come for the violence and I stay for the praise. <laughs> I guess I think we're okay on this. We all know it will never be unanimous, but I think like nine, if you pull nine out of 10 anonymous combat sports fans who, who saw the same fights and highlights that we did, I think they would come to the same conclusions. But I could be wrong. I'm going to tell people now, uh, listen, we, we, maybe us in the MMA media, or at least this particular panel of, of, of the four of us, Maybe we have uh, the memory of goldfish. I don't know. But when we came up with our answers, everything that happened happened within the last 30, 35 days, something like that, a span of, I think, dating back to, to early April and now to the end, to the end of May. So I don't think we're wrong. I think that the three we picked are excellent. But I guess we just, you know, without further ado, may as well start uh, and let people make up their minds for themselves. And guys, we'll throw, you know, listeners, listen, we'll throw out some, some honorable mentions. We'll throw out our runner-up and try to have all our bases covered. But of course, if we forgot anything, you know, always leave us a nice, polite comment on social media or on the uh, mafighting.com comment section and uh, you know we'll, we'll gladly acknowledge it and of course because it's me uh there will be polls that you guys can vote in so all right best fight pretty easy pick uh when this fight happened or at least i would say when it concluded i saw a lot of people on social media that's the fight of the year that's the fight of the year going into it a ton of expectation uh coming out of it still a ton of expectation for both fighters especially the winner I am, of course, talking about the UFC 273 welterweight clash between Hamzat Shemaev and Gilbert Burns. Uh, Gilbert Burns was definitely perceived to be the biggest test for uh, one Mr. Hamzat after uh, Shemaev ran through his first four UFC opponents, just literally crushing everyone in the first round uh, or second round in the case of one one, uh, tough guy. But uh, Gilbert Burns recently coming off a title fight uh, with Kamar Usman. So people thought, hey, if he gets by this guy, we're talking title shot right away. But it certainly didn't prove to be easy, even though he came out with a decision win. Steven, what were your first? I mean, listen, I mean, just describe what were your thoughts on the fight as it was happening, after it happened. How did that fight make you feel? Well, I think the thing that surprised me a little, maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, but reading your entry for this, for this, uh, this award here, I think the main thing coming out of it was, oh, he was exposed. And as someone who, you know, likes to consider myself uh, a, a prince of pro- positivity, not the prince of positivity, but a prince of positivity, I, I thought it was just better because it was like, okay, now we've, we've got an idea that he's a resilient guy. He's human. He can also fight through adversity. And that's clearly what he faced in Gilbert Burns, who was, you know, there to put on a, a great fight and really matched him and, and, and almost knocked him out um, at several points in the fight. So the thing that I took from it was that it was just kind of an, a, it, it made me feel better about him as a, as a prospect, as a possible champion down the road that, you know, he, he had some stumbles and he was able to overcome them, you know, and he was um, a, a guy that could encounter difficulties and adjust and overcome. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's I, like I said, Steve, I'm with you. Like, I would think people would want to look on the bright side of that performance, not necessarily because he didn't run through Gil Burns. That like we should think less of Shamaya. Maybe I'm wrong, Jed. I don't know. Did you did you feel that way? Did you uh, think I don't want to say less of either fighter, but it did, specifically Shamaya? Did it kind of uh, you know slow down the, that that maybe thoughts in your mind that this guy is a legitimate threat to uh, you know to, to take the title from Kamaru Usman should that fight be booked like tomorrow? It made me feel a little less about him, but that's Mm -hmm. only because the expectations for him were just so astronomically high. Uh, I talked about this, I think with Mike uh, on the 
you might, whoever was on the post show, I think we talked about it. Um, I coming into that fight, I was dead certain of a couple of things like Hamzat's going to run through Gilbert. Hamzat's going to take the welterweight title. Hamzat's probably going to get the middleweight title. And he has an actual chance to like do the thing that Darren Till always said he was going to do and go win a third belt because light heavyweight's trash and he's really good. And in the great words of Danny Sabatello, everybody else sucks. I'm really good. That's it's just a fantastic uh, trajectory for him. After the Gilbert fight, I was left thinking, man, Gilbert Burns is better than I thought he was. And okay, light heavyweight might be a bridge too far. <laughs> like that, we he was a blank canvas, and we could just sort of ascribe our hopes and dreams on, onto Hamza Chimaev. He could be anything because he literally got hit one time in the UFC and was just dumpstering people. Uh, and now we had to at least come down to a, a more reasonable place to be. So by definition, it takes a little bit of the shine off him. That doesn't mean he is not still a 24 karat solid gold prospect. And, and he is, I, I think he's going to get the welterweight title uh, early next year. Probably. I think he has a really good chance to be the dude who takes, takes a second belt and win the middleweight title when he does move up. I still have those great, beliefs and thoughts for him but i was just left to be like okay he is not invulnerable but like steven said i think there were a lot of good things to take away you have to face adversity and sure he faced adversity from blown up lightweight but that blown up lightweight turns out to be a really damn good fighter so uh yeah i, I was left mostly with positives here yeah i mean look this this could be if it, if it plays out as, as you expect it to this could be just remembered as one of the great moments that you know before he ascended to the top of, of this division uh damon again like i said we all kind of agreed on this that this was the best fight uh what wh what do you think puts it above all the others was there any other options that we kind of that we may have neglected that we kind of um we should have considered to maybe put above this one i don't know what do you think i mean there were there were definitely some good fights in the first you know <clears throat> excuse me in the first six months of the year but i think this one stood out above all the others i mean when you think about the hype that had that Jemayev had going into the fight and then Gilbert Burns kind of doing what he did, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it was just an amazing performance all the way around. And um, I disagreed with the odds going into it that Gilbert was just going to get run over by Hamza. Maybe I was one of the few people that thought it was actually going to be a pretty compelling fight going in. And then Gilbert showed what he was made of. Um, you know, there were other fun, I was a little disappointed that we didn't vote Carlos Barza and Rose Namajunas number one, but I mean, outside of that, uh, <laughs> you know, listen, there, there, there were fun fights this year. There were definitely fun fights beyond this one this year, but I, listen, I know maybe it's the wrong way to look at it, but I'm always a big believer in, uh, there was a great fight in, I think it was eternal MMA, Josh Kuhn. And, uh, you wrote about it, Misfits, AK, what was the, the, his opponent, I, I'm forgetting his name. Um, uh, uh, Dimps, uh, oh my gosh, Dimps Gillies, I think. Dimps Gillies, exactly. Oh, amazing. Phenomenal fight. Phenomenal fight. And I actually talked to Josh Coon before. I incredible fight. I loved it. And it's going to be one of those fights we're probably going to be talking about at the end of the year, like one of those memorable fights. But when you get to the level of the UFC, Bellator, or excuse me, Showtime MMA, uh, PFL, you know, when you get to like <laughs> the big leagues, it means more, you know, it means more when you get into the bigger fights, even like we're talking about like a great fight on the prelims of the UFC versus like a main card or a main event. Gilbert Burns versus Hamza Shamaya. We're talking about two of the five best welterweights in the world. And when those two guys can go out and put a, put on a show like that, it means more. So that's also a reason why I think this one is elevated because we're not just talking about any two guys. We're talking about two of the absolute best guys in the world in their division. And what I have said for a long time is one of the best divisions in the sport in the welterweight division. So 
again, it's not a knock on any other great fights that have been out there this year. It's just this one raised the bar because not only was it a great fight, but it's a great fight between two incredibly good fighters, two of the best guys in the world. I mean, this is, you know, Gilbert Burns, the guy who landed a knockdown on Kamar Usman. Hamza Chamayev looked unstoppable, but then had to go out there. And I think what we learned about Hamza in this fight is a little bit kind of like what we learned about John Jones when he had that fight with Gustafson, the first fight with Alexander Gustafson. You know, everyone thought John Jones was just going to blow the doors off him. And the only compliment anyone could pay to Gustafson going into that fight was, well, he's tall. That's it. That's all we could say. He's tall. Uh, and then ended up being you know one of the greatest fights of all time. So I think Hamza needed to go through that. So yeah, there were other fights that were solid that I liked, but I mean, come on, when you talk about two of the best in the world going to war like that, it's Hamza and Gilbert. I do wonder what fight we'll be talking about more 10 years from now, uh, Hamza and Gilbert or uh, Carla and uh, Rose Namajunas too. I'm just saying, <laughs> oh, for, uh, for sure. better or for, for worse. For sure, Carla Rose too. Okay. Yeah, I, don't, so, I don't think it's close. So maybe uh, maybe Dame bring, bring well, it up was, uh, was for good reason. Carla Esposa too is the best bad fight of all time. Like it's, hmm. it's the because it is the worst fight of all time. So okay. it's the top of the bad things. Oh. This will be the standard by which garbage fights are judged wait a minute moving forward so for the record and i'm going to get i'm gonna get slammed for this for the record uh, uh kimbo dada is a good fight it's just objectively a oh, good that's fight. just a great fight. Oh, okay that's a that's a great great fight yeah that's a oh, great okay. fight. but it's great from a fight surfer for fight circus perspective right it's right. not like well, it, it's a it's a genre within a genre you're yeah, talking it's about. not max holloway alexander volkanovsky but it's it is one of my five favorite fights unquestionably <laughs> i watch that all day I'm just saying this is Esparza Namajunas 2 is it it is the apex bad fight. It is the bad fight by which all other bad fights will be judged. And so that is the thing we'll be talking about moving forward because anytime somebody has a it's it's like Matt Sarah GSP. Anytime there's a big upset, well, is it bigger than Sarah over GSP? That's going to be Carlos Esparza Namajunas. Hamza Gilbert's a great fight. We're not going to talk about it after January 2023 when we do end of year awards. Like we'll just move on to the next thing because it's not an all timer of that kind level of a fight. Uh, Jay, can you put a pin in us? Uh, we got to do a future podcast just dedicated to Kimbo and Dodd. I'm amazed we've never done it. Uh, uh, in I'll next give you three hours on that. Next, like one of the best fights ever. Next February, not only that for its fallout as well. Oh there was a serious fallout. He almost died. <laughs> He did I, die. I, I, no, Dada no, no, no. Died. died and came back. And then Kimbo never That's fought. Why I say I mean, almost. He was Kim- <laughs> kind of there for a second. Kimbo never fought again. And then unfortunately, uh, you know, did eventually pass away. I'm not saying directly related to that fight, but he did never fight again following that bout. And then, uh, but anyway, next February, seven, seven year anniversary, guys, mark it down. That's uh, we'll, we'll bring in the seven year anniversary of one of the most amazing fights ever. Thank you but, for reminding me of this. Oh, I'm going to do something for that. That I almost, has to be done. I almost wish I hadn't brought it up because I'm like, we could spend the next hour just suddenly talking about that fight, going to aggression that fight. But let's move on, guys. Let's move on to our next category here. Again, unanimous pick, best knockout, Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson at UFC 274. Now, prior to this, prior to this, I think we were all in... Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I should have read the runner-ups for uh, best fight. I apologize, guys. Runner-ups, uh, I... I I will say I made this list unilaterally, guys, so I don't speak for all four of us here. Uh, I had Davidson, Figueredo, Brandon Reno, Trilogy Bout, UFC 270, great fight, and then some other honorable mentions. Uh, Alex Polizzi at uh, Jose Augusto versus Jose Augusto, Bellator 276. For anyone who hasn't watched that, completely wild fight. Uh, beautiful mid-level MMA bout. 
complete chaos. Uh, Adam Boris versus Matt Brunell, that same card, the exact opposite, amazing technical fight in the main event, and another fight that I think a lot of might have gotten overlooked. People just kind of might have skipped that one. Um, really, really great back and forth, featherweight bout. Um, Brian Barberina versus Matt Brown, UFC Columbus. I mean, I just say those two names, you know, it was an amazing fight and uh, a really wild one. <laughs> Freddie Camayo versus uh, Xavier Lesu at Aries FC5. That's on UFC Fight Pass for anyone who didn't see that one, but uh, that's low level at its best. Just there, <laughs> There's one I think that should be on Please. this list. Absolutely. Because I think it's my number two, and maybe this will be slightly controversial, but Olivera Gaethje, I know mm-hmm. it was three minutes, but yeah. like it had it had what you want like it had an arc like because Oliveira hurt Gaethje immediately then he gets dropped then he comes back then he gets dropped again then he finally comes like there was a story there condensed into three minutes that you don't get in I mean hell we didn't get even a quarter of that story in Asparza Nama Yunus so it's just that I know it was only a three minute 30 second or whatever it was fight but I actually think that's my number two fight of the year sure. so far. Even uh, even Oliveira Chandler last year was like one of the I think was one of the best fights of of twenty twenty one, and that was also only oh no that went two rounds right that went, went two, two rounds. rounds. But, well, that's yeah, like I, that's like talking about back in the day like Paul Daly and Nick Diaz like the fight oh, lasted one round yeah. but it was the, one, one of the, the greatest ten, rounds matter, ever you know like, and the ten best fights of all yeah. time. Yeah, I agree with Jed. I think that yeah. would probably be my number two that's pick. Honestly, point. like that's a phenomenal three minutes and twenty two seconds, but it was a phenomenal three minutes and twenty two seconds. Yeah, we, awesome. we always we always tend to lean towards like fights that went to decisions when we make the, these lists and forget about like, certainly, you know, certainly beyond one round. Is usually yeah, yeah. For, but, but and we always forget about like, yeah. man, these like crazy fights that like lasted maybe a minute or, or just a little over one round and are just completely unforgettable. So, yeah, that's good. So anyone anyone who's uh, looking for, for misses from that list, we probably miss a few of those. Uh, I would but, also like to nominate the mm-hmm. the dark horse or the, you know, indie candidate, the hipster candidate. Uh, Rogelio Luna versus Socrates Hernandez. Whoa, I didn't see this one at Bellator 277. Nobody saw it. <laughs> was it a post limb? <laughs> no, it was a prelim. Oh, okay. And these guys beat the hell out of each other for nearly 15 minutes um, in a way that evoked Stefan Bonner versus Forrest Griffin in community college. <laughs> <laughs> say it again mike that was socrates hernandez and Rogelio luna oh wow those are great those you are guys great you guys ones. have mentioned more bellator fights in the fight of the year candidate than i think <laughs> anyone has ever done right now so. it was a really good fight how do you guys um for my fellow canadians by the way all bellator events are available on youtube so you guys what, what event was that again 277 you said 277 bellator 277 so for my canadians out there and uh, other international listeners you can just go to youtube and we have that uh available or any i think any country that doesn't where the t- they don't have a um, tv station or a network that has a deal with bellator it's on youtube how do you guys rewatch bellator fights in the u.s not often can you can, can, can you you can to some extent bellator's um their main website uh usually will link up uh like if you go to individual fighter pages on bellator.com mm-hmm. They will usually link up to videos of them um, that some of them come through YouTube. Some of them come through whatever the streaming platform they use on their website is. That's how I've app, gone and back and watched I think stuff. Their app too, I think has sometimes puts on full fights. On Theoretically, there. I could find it on Showtime too. Yeah, you can find, I think they have this, I think they have the full events on Showtime. Cause I went back and rewatched uh, a couple of, I can't remember what card it was, but it was a night that I, something else was happening. And so I went back and rewatched a couple of fights from there. So, oh yeah, I, remember, I went back because I was, it was the same time I was watching, rewatched uh, Pitbull McKee too, because it was going on at the same time in the event. So I actually kind of missed like watching it. So it was on, they actually had the full events on Showtime. Well, but we don't Steven's have to correct. 
no one actually goes back <laughs> well, and watches Bellator fights. <laughs> we don't have we don't have Showtime Sports in Canada. So again, uh, Canadian Canadians interest viewers, YouTube, and I guys, I just checked the app. Showtime. We have Showtime. We don't have. we don't have the Showtime like sports streaming thing that you guys. We don't have like a streaming service. We do have like some. I don't. I don't actually. We don't how even have Showtime. That, how does that? You don't have Showtime. Not okay. in Canada. I learn something wow. every day. I know. See, you feel sorry for me now, don't you? We're always talking about quality CBC, of life here. Yeah. I, how do you watch Billions? All right, listen. It is also <laughs> the available. only program we I have alternatives that, that carry. We have alternative channels that carry, you know, certain programs from other networks. Anyway, uh, it is also available on the app. So if anyone I know, everyone out there, everyone out there is listening right now, immediately going to their Bellator app, which of course they do have on their phone as. This is becoming a bizarre commercial for, for Showtime. And I just want, no, I just want to, I did, If I you guys not, aren't watching this Bellator prelims, we just named like nine fights that you should go watch. Listen, we get accused all the time in the media of being too UFC centric. So I'm just telling people uh, these Bellator fights again Alex Polizzi, Jose Agosto, Adam Bortz, Mads Brunel, and uh, Rogerio Luna and Socrates Hernandez, all available on YouTube outside of the United States and the US on the Bellator app and on, I guess, however you guys watch your fancy Showtime streaming service whatever that is okay can we talk about michael chandler and tony ferguson now we yes. have to sending i mean there's not a lot to say about it as how nasty it was i'd rather not relive it frankly it was that brutal uh but i was gonna say before before this event happened before 274 happened i think we all would have agreed molly mccann's spinning elbow luana carolina was the what it was the knockout of the first half yeah i still i still fluctuate on a day-to-day basis which one i think is sure. is better because i think there are some very clear arguments for McCann over mm-hmm. over Chandler here. I recognize that most people are probably not going to feel that way. Like the the general public is going to put Michael Chandler's over Tony Ferguson's. I think there's a very good argument for the other one, and I, I just kind of fluctuate depending on the day and how I feel. Jed, at the end of the year, no one will even you know we show our ballots at the end of the year when we do the final voting. No one will fault you if you change your mind to McCann. But uh, oh wait, you know so I'll cut, you know what. Then make but make the case now right now, Mashu for so far. Mashu, Mashu, make the case now for why why we we agreed that uh, uh, you're that you are the man to ask in this situation, especially given the participants involved. Why Michael Chandler's hellacious knockout of uh, Tony Berkson got our our midseason award? Oh, sorry. Am I making the case for Michael Chandler? Or am I making the case for Molly McCann? let's talk about the our our, our consensus pick for we're going to take the um so the case for michael chandler is pretty obvious in that um it was dope <laughs> it's just it's just a viscerally impressive ko over a guy who's never been knocked out like that um actually maybe has never been knocked out in general i don't frankly recall tko my head. tko that doesn't yeah, but, even uh, oh yeah, I forgot the fifth round. But that was on, that was still on the feet. He was still on That's the feet. Right. That's like standing. referee stoppage, right? TKO referee yeah. stoppage. Yeah. But you know, a guy that Tony Ferguson has fallen off, but his chin had never really failed him much uh, or ever. That's just not what he is. And it was a fight that Tony Ferguson was arguably winning. Certainly a very competitive fight. It kind of came out of nowhere with a. Again, it's also not a technique Michael Chandler's ever used. That's he's. That if you showed me a picture of Michael Chandler, I was like, do you think this man can kick someone in the head? I'd be like, no, I do not physically believe that he has the leg dexterity to get his his feet above hip height. He is the stock bowling ball of a human being. That's not what he does. And then he like he punts him. He it's it's not a it's less of a front kick and more of a football punt. And he just punts Tony Ferguson's head to the moon. It's 
he face planted him. The the visceral look of it, the quality of opposition, uh, all of it sort of just screams that this is the KO of the year. And for anything to beat this, it's going to have to be really impressive. Now, it's not impossible to do, but I think immediately when it happened, everybody's reaction was that's the KO of the year. And sometimes just shooting from the hip is the right way to be. And I, I think that there's, again, I'm not certain it is, but there's a really good argument that it is. Follow-up question. How amazing is Michael Chandler? Uh, he sucks. Oh, okay. And in our, in our thing not... that we wrote about, uh, when we, the, the piece that will come, I don't know when this is going to happen. My argument for why Michael Chandler deserves it is because for a very brief moment, I had to admit that Michael Chandler doesn't suck, but he does, but uh-huh. he doesn't. That moment has passed, it sounds like. Well, he came out and said a lot of real bootlicky things about why he shouldn't get paid more money despite putting his health on the line. And that makes me revert to my previous stance. But his in-cage product is must-see television, if nothing else. Michael Chandler, maybe a, a touch of a corporate bootlicker. Uh, Judgment Shoes words, not a mine. Touch. Uh, uh, Damon, where does, but where does this boot to the face rank among the best a, that you've seen because we have had several memorable and inst- thank you we've had several memorable front kick to the face chaos in the ufc uh where do you rank this one is this the best ever uh i i still put it behind anderson vitor even though vitor okay. didn't get sent to the ether the same way that tony ferguson did but that's just i mean that one's just iconic you know and that in the photo that's just untouchable, in my opinion. Anderson Silva's front kick. I like Leona Machida's on Randy Couture. I was actually at that fight. Um, that was pretty visceral, watching Randy's tooth go flying into the out of the cage. That was pretty crazy. Uh, of course, Leona doing it to Vitor. You know, so there's been some good ones, but I think this has got to be number two. Uh, also, I'm stealing uh, bootlicky as a new phrase that I fully intend on using in the future. So thank you for that, Jed. Uh, a lot of, lot of use in this sport. Boot, You're going to find a lot of use in this. I want to use bootlicky. I want to find a way to use that, but no, I think it's, I think it's number two. I, I have a hard time for anything, you know, being above Anderson's, but, uh, and again, I know there's going to be the people who are going to disagree with me. I love Molly McCann's knockout. That was incredible. But again, I can't talk about like when big things happen in bigger fights, it means more, whether you like it or not. It's true. Tony Ferguson, even though he's coming off, he was coming off, you know, three losses in a row. He's still a good fighter. I mean, he's not great, but he's still good. I mean, you get, he got, he's the only guy to actually take Charles Oliveira to a decision in the last 11 fights. That says a lot about, about Tony Ferguson. Um, and, and then, you know, of course he got dominated by Benil Dariush, but again, didn't get finished, went all the way to a decision, even though he, he nearly got his leg ripped off in that fight. But again, he, he did it and to get knocked out the way he did. Again, no, absolutely nothing against uh, was it Luana Carolina who who got who got yep. nothing right. against her, but that's my point. Like she's not Tony Ferguson, so when you go do that to Tony Ferguson, it just means more. And so, yeah, uh, Michael Chandler is. I mean, it's gonna be hard, real hard for anyone to top that. Not saying it can't be done because it has been done. We've seen it time and time again. You think a knockout is guaranteed to be the one you talk about at the end of the year, and it's not. So. Um, but yeah, I think number two behind Anderson, but right now, number one for the year. I think the Machida on Randy one doesn't get as much love because it was so predictable. Um, 
if anyone like because Randy was a thousand years old. Yeah, I mean, like, like, uh, like Jed, you explained that like Michael Chandler just doesn't throw front kicks like that. We'd never seen him do anything like that in a fight before. Uh, and and Damon, you mentioned Anderson Silva. We'd just never seen someone finish someone with a front kick like that in the championship fight. Like he was the first, the first to do it. And also to credit, give credit to Machida, his kick was almost like the crane kick because he yeah, faked, yeah, yeah, he faked with one leg and then went up with the other one. So he kind he, of he had the jumping. best, like yeah. most cinematic looking of the three. Yeah, for like he sure. jump kicked and, it. Like those were like, there was basically, I'm not saying there was no setup, but like yeah. Anderson and Michael just threw a kick, like Machida, like faked with one leg and then threw the other one. And they just knocked Randy's head to the fourth row. If people go watch yeah, that. I fight, kind of agree with that. that there, was a little, there was, there was a little bit more intentionality behind it. I think Yes. in, in both the Anderson knockout and the uh, Machida knockout of Couture. I mean, I'm not saying it was completely by accident, just something in my in my heart. I just can't imagine that Michael Chandler was like he threw that kick. And it was like, yeah, this is the one. <sighs> like, this this is it. You know, I, I think it was like, hey, I'm gonna throw this thing because the front kick is is almost like a transitional kind of strike. You know, it's it's not the it's not the the main course. It's an appetizer. So, I, I think that he threw it. I, I'm more inclined to believe that he threw it like that, and it was like. Oh, I hit the ball out of the park, you know, whereas, you know, Silva and Machida, I think that was like expert karate technique executed in the octagon. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I was going to say, and definitely the Machida case, if you if you'll go back and watch the fight, it really does look like one guy is moving like normal speed and one guy is moving at like slow motion. It, it looks almost fake. Like it's such a weird, it's such a, such a one, it's like prime Machida versus well, past his prime, Randy Couture. So I like what you said, uh, Stephen, about inten intentionality. Right? There's something about the intentionality there. Which also, makes it, like, just to give just to give credit where credit's due, we all know Esther Lynn is the goat of mm -hmm. MMA photography. But when you capture a rubber face photo, like the one that they had with Frankie oh, Edgar, yeah. Cheetah Vera, oh, my gosh. and the Why'd rubber and the, and the face and the photo with Tony, Fr like it's so like when Cheeto talked about that on the MMA hour, and he's like, he didn't really want to talk about it because it's so horrific. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. I understand. But my God, there's something so visceral about those photos. When you see the Frankie Edgar and then you see what the the, uh, the Tony Ferguson one, like the momentary capture of like the face, like I mean, it's it literally looks like Hollywood makeup. Like it looks like something you would see in like a like a, a horror film. Like the way that it, they freeze frame that, it's so insane. I, I was gonna ask, am I am I becoming a bleeding heart, guys? Because I have no stomach for these um, crumpled up face shots. Uh, Stephen, you and I are, you know, like you said, fellow princes of positivity. Where where I think I consider us both to be a little bit of a, you know, that won't somebody think of the children uh, part of the media? <laughs> I, I, I think so. You know, you've done extensive, uh, you know, research into concussions. Of course, all the great work you did with, with Spencer Fisher. Um, is it is it? I hate to be a downer. Does it kind of take away sometimes when you want, like this was so vicious the way he fell. And as Damon mentioned, when you see the freeze frames after and the replays and all the different angles, like does it, are you at the point where it's like, it's just a little bit hard to kind of fully enjoy them? Well, I think that's part of the, the reason it was so devastating. The reason why it was so um, impactful, this knockout, it's, it's, it's what it's the actual physical effect, but I think there's an emotional component to Tony Ferguson and a lot of fans. I think, and, and I would argue that it's, the trajectory that we've seen from him because the guy has just had so much bad luck. He won 12 straight fights in the UFC and couldn't get the undisputed belt. It's just so many things he's gone through the thing with the domestic violence, 
I think a lot of these things, they, they just got fans on his side. They, they endeared. He's like the crazy uncle that, you know, that you, you know, <laughs> that, that you, uh, that you love and adore, you know, for, for his craziness. And, and just to watch his dreams crushed in such a visceral way. Um, it's, it's really hard. Um, for me, I thought, man, like knowing his history, knowing, knowing what he's been through, um, you know, the issues that he may or may not be dealing with. Um, my first reaction was you got to stop doing this. I know it's not going to happen, but my, my instant reaction was that's it. That's it's over. He shouldn't fight anymore. It's it's, this is, this is enough. Like you are gambling with your, your life, your lights are now getting shut off. It's not about, you know, being dominated or submitted or, you know, doing well in one round, you, you got your lights shut off. It's only going to get worse from here. You're only going to suffer more damage. It will not get any better. And I think that's the classic issue. You know, fighters, they stay too long. They think this is just one, this is just a thing I got to overcome. And I, I'm still in the fight. I still got to push against it. And that's when you take those shots that potentially that irrevocably alter your life. So that was a big part of it for me. I will say real quick, I will say as nasty as that knockout was, Tony seemed to be in really good spirits after the fight. Like he texted me after the fight, he did interviews. He did the interview with Ariel on the MMA hour. Um, And I weirdly, as this is going to sound so bizarre because you're thinking about someone's brain getting rattled around their head with, with, you know, uh, Michael Chandler, you know, trying out for the Tennessee Titans by punting, Tony Ferguson's head in this in the second round but honestly that knockout is I'm not saying it's better no knockout is good but like I would rather have that happen than what he had happen against Justin Gaethje when he got two two rounds of just getting his head just beat around the cage and taking 200 strikes or whatever it was to the point where like it was hard to watch the end of the, the, the Gaethje fight where he's like shaking his head and like, you know, taking the punches, like shake it. Oh, it was just, it would, that, that's, that made me cringe far worse than that. Like weirdly, like that made me cringe worse than just getting hit once and going down as weird as that sounds. And I, and I think, I think like both of you kind of paint the picture of why this is, uh, why we feel a little bit more icky about this knockout than, um, previous ones, because I, I know what you're, I know what you're saying, Dan, but also I think when I, like when I see someone like Tony version drop like that, I, I see that and I'm, I'm th- I immediately also think about the accumulated damage in the Justin Casey fight and other fights where he just got battered around and like, like, oh, he made it to a decision. So I guess it's okay. And it does feel like cumulative. I know that's not how these knockouts work. It does feel cumulative. Um, and, and, you know, for anyone who's saying like, well, why don't you guys just feel so about every knockout? Again, kind of like the way Steven said, like we know so much about Tony's story and we've seen him so in so many wars that when he takes a knockout like that, it, boy, it's just, it really is hard not to think about all the other stuff. So, sorry guys, sorry listeners, a bit, a bit of a downer. But hey, this is this is part of what made this knockout not just so great, but so memorable. Uh, you know, in many good ways and a, a few bad ways. You know, depending how you want to look at it. So, uh, any hey, other Katie, thoughts? Yeah, Jed. Your problem is that you're Canadian, and so uh-huh. you naturally have empathy for people. Also, free <laughs> healthcare. So, I mean, you know, because I, I'll be honest. I watch. I have never once felt bad watching that knockout. Um, the only bad feelings I've had is that Cut it, come on. It means Michael Chandler doesn't suck. Like that's no. the only bad feeling I had watching that. I, I swear, I thought you were going to say the only bad feeling I had was that it wasn't the other way around. Well, that as well. But that's, that's Are you on. ever worried that you're going to run into Michael Chandler one day? No. What's he going to do? 
But Zilo, Chandler is he going to physically assault me? He would have a laugh he could about beat it though. Me up, sure. He, he honestly like, would have a laugh about it. Like he's Michael, so the kind of person who Michael he was aware Chandler of this, is like, like the honestly Michael Chandler is like the nicest dude in the world. Like he really is. Like he I would don't, have a like, laugh about it. He would. Sure. He, would also, pre- he would. He probably... said a lot of nice things about him. What if he were Jed though, Damon? Yeah. He would probably like who just regularly taunted him. He would probably. I mean, no. he would probably laugh at it. Damon, and... you act as if I haven't had my ass beat before. It's not okay. Okay, Damon. Damon, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we, to make set that up, can we set up an episode of Fighter versus Writer where the fighter is Michael Chandler and the writer is Jed? <laughs> yes. That would be an interesting conversation. I would be more than happy to facilitate and you that. You can be there. Yeah, please, to make sure nothing gets I'm, out of hand. That has to be on I'm video. So in. I'm oh, so yeah. In. I would do that. Okay. We'll, we'll, it would we'll be great. I, th- I honestly think Michael Chandler would have a, would have a laugh about it. I, uh, maybe, maybe we'll find out. I don't out. know. No, <laughs> I think you. I think you because Chan. Honestly, Chandler's a good sport. Like he really is. Like he actually is like a really good sport about. It. Like I, I think, think so. he actually. I think he would actually like as long as it didn't go out of bounds to the like you know. And I know Jed wouldn't go out of bounds. I'm just saying like out of bounds like beyond the fight stuff. Like it would never go that far. I don't think he would. I think he would just like laugh and have a good time. Like because he like look when you look at the way he responds to like angry fans who tweeted him versus like some fighters who get like truly offended and like angry and whatever. He always kind of like jabs at him and kind of has fun with it a little bit too. So I, I don't think he would. I think he's one of the guys who would not overreact. There are some guys who would. I don't think he's one of them. Yeah. Well, and there's look, only one way to find out. Let's do it. Because look. It's fun to not like people. I don't know why people don't get what? that. Like it's, it's fun. Like, do you I, root for sports teams? Is it not fun to root against a sports I don't team that dislike, you hate? No, I don't dislike anyone. I have, Canadian, I have no you hatred in my heart. Have and hate I, in your heart. It's the most fun is to root against sports teams you hate. And fighters are just sports teams, only a little more. There's just teams of one. <laughs> a little smaller. Yeah, teams so of teams one. Teams of one. So, uh, but. I don't know. We've gone off the rails and I want to put us on track here very quickly just to, I think there, because I do want to give Molly McCann the props. I think she deserves because I think the argument for her having the KO of the year is what we previously talked about. I don't know how often we will talk about Chandler Ferguson moving forward. Molly McCann may have authored the greatest knockout in women's mixed martial arts history. Not staying for sure it is, and it's certainly not the most relevant one. It's not Holly Holm over uh, Ronda Rousey or Men Nunes over Chris Cyborg. But if you were talking just the visceral visceral impact and what happened, you know, Carolina was down for I don't know, like three minutes. It felt like that was one where she was down so long that I did start thinking, "Oh, this might be bad." And then she got up and it was fine. But I think if you're just looking at it on the merits of what happened. And what that means in that that sort of a slant of this is the arguably the greatest thing that's ever happened under these terms, then that that deserves recognition. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. 
Yeah, listen, that's our consensus runner-up. I think you guys, you guys will all agree. That's that's what I sort of listed in our uh, the story that's going to go along with this podcast. Uh, I'll show I'll throw, I'll show, throw out some honorable mentions, and the guys, if there's anything I forgot, jump in or uh, any of these that I mentioned that you want to um, elaborate on. Uh, I'm not going to mention them all, like I said, people can check it out the article. But I think Jamal Hill. Uh, knockout Johnny Walker main event UFC Vegas 48 M- more so for the way he fell I think like Jed that would be like a Humpty Dumpty award winner um, for sure for sure Andre Koroshkov annihilating the insides of chance friend counter with a spin kick at and literally, and literally breaking apart oh. his entire internal organ system like that he was... literally broke him on the inside that's was like bad when you saw it live. And then, yeah, the next day when like the reports came out of what, exactly how much damage was done, you're just like, holy crap, that is terrifying. Uh, John Lineker ending the, not an unbeaten streak, but like a eight, 13 and 14 and one run for Bibiana Fernandez over the past better part of the last decade in emphatic fashion, just clocking him at uh, the appropriately named one championship lights out. And I want to call it just some, some you know, definitely some lesser known ones. Magomed Kabardiev versus uh, UFC veteran Valmir Lazaro at NISA FC 38. This crazy, you're talking about spinning elbow knockouts. That one was right up there with McCann's, but obviously kind of at a lower level. So make of that what you will. And uh, Manny Akpan and Connor Hitchens at Cage Wars 136, almost like an accidental looping like wheel kick that somehow landed like right on the button. And uh, poor Connor Hitchens was just, was just sent to dreamland right away. So, uh, guys, you can find those at MMAfighting.com. I, I believe Nice FC and Cage Warriors also both on, uh, on Fight Pass if you want to check those out. And then, again, those, this is another list. Um, anything I missed, guys? Anything that uh, you guys really feel like bears mentioning? I think we got. I think we covered all the bases with those. I mean, there's all always right. – I mean, knockouts seem to be a lot more frequent these days than great submissions. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, those are, those are all pretty good. That's a pretty good yeah. list. Best submission. Listen, we talked about uh, Molly McCann maybe being robbed of, of the uh, best finish of the year. We'll see. We'll see how the voting goes when uh, when it's all said and done. Best submission. Uh, we're going back to the women's MMA side of things because it is hard to deny Jessica Andrade the first stand, uh, the first completed standing arm triangle choke uh, in UFC history against Amanda Lemoche at UFC Vegas 52. Now uh, I did a bit of a sort of intro blurb for this one, and I've said, man, like she, <laughs> Jessica Andrade has finished people in every which way: slams, one punch knockouts, triangle chokes, whatever, uh, guillotine chokes, whatever you want to, uh, triangle chokes too, probably maybe before you see. But she's just done it all. She's an amazing finisher. You never think that she was gonna gonna come up with anything new. Plus, she's facing a, 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 a fast, you know, somebody's a rising contender at 115 pounds. Yeah, that kind of sketchy uh, win over Angela Hill, not her best performance. But either way, someone who um, I think a lot of people are viewing as a surefire title contender and then gets a very tough matchup with Jessica Andrade. And uh, sure enough, the former strawweight champion and uh, one-time flyweight title challenger takes care of business with uh, an absolutely amazing submission. Uh, she's really strong, guys. That's my takeaway from this move. I don't know uh, if you guys want to do a technique breakdown. Steven, did you want to dive into how she pulled this one off? I mean, that was when she, she locked that in. Off by this being is one really of the, strong. This is one of the moments where the the I don't remember who's doing the announcing, but one of them was like, "Oh, like, like oh, she, she she's she's gonna she's gonna tap." Was like, and, and I think we we're all like, "Yeah, I think she's gonna tap." <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's in there. Yeah, Steven, I, don't know. I mean, it, it felt like it was not. Um, it, it differed to me from the one in two, the last one that I remember, 2012, Zoila Frosto uh, versus uh, Jessica I, in that once Zoila had it, or once Jessica had it in, like it was kind of secure already. It feels like in this instance, um, Andrade muscled it in. Like she she muscled it to completion. And the look on I'm at his face, like this, this look of terror, like, like I'm drowning, you know, and 
inability to get away like a uh like a bird stuck in a eagle's you know like a small bird in an eagle's mouth you know just like it was uh it was pretty pretty insane so that that's what i thought was a little bit different other than that i mean it's just like it, this is a very low per- percentage choke nobody goes for it this is not something we even see that att- you know attempted that often in the octagon so the fact that she did it and then pulled it off pretty pretty amazing by 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 no stretch of the imagination am i ever going to pretend to know that much about jujitsu outside of the few years i did jujitsu but i will say this if you've never been put in an arm triangle choke or if you've ever done an arm triangle choke typically the pressure of that choke comes from your arms where you're tightening your grip around the head and the arm but it's also from your shoulder pressing down into the neck and that's kind of like the double part of that choke you don't have that leverage standing. That's why you don't see those submissions get pulled off ever because you don't have the leverage to actually use your shoulder to press down into the, into the chest, into the neck to get the choke applied beyond the arms. That's why you don't see it. That should tell you how freakishly strong Jessica Andrade is that she could actually wrap that up, hold it and get it to the point where Amanda Lemos had nowhere to go. Like she was trapped and she was done. Like that is ridiculous. Like it's one of those like moves that, you just don't typically see outside the ground because you need that ground position to actually apply that hold. Chad, do you want to give us uh, any further breakdown there? I know uh, you love you know you love breaking this stuff down, but uh, could I mean- Michael Chandler have pulled that off? <laughs> <laughs> Probably he's not. pretty strong. He's pretty strong. He's he's pretty strong, but I mean it's it's relative strength, right? Like like Michael Chandler could pull that off on me if he's very mad at me after we do the fighter versus writer thing for sure. Like he probably can't do that to Tony Ferguson. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just insane and awesome. And Jessica Andrade is the best strawweight in the world and she's really dope. And I think this to me is the obvious winner for submission of the year. And going back to what we said at the start, like it feels like, half at the halfway point all of these are really clear cut number ones the lone exception being maybe ko but i still feel like most people are just going to go with chandler so yeah this to me is the very very clear best submission of the year so far yeah it's it's got everything it's a main event it was memorable it has like you said arguably the best fighter in her division or at the very least someone who's been a former champion who's who's a top five fighter in two divisions uh, again taking care of business against a a solid you know up-and-comer um and it just really has all the formula and, and it's history making we never we'd never seen it before at the ufc level uh, it really does have all the makings of a great submission um i'll run down some other ones here uh i don't know if, so my runner-up i said charles Oliveira versus justin gaethje but this might have been more like a fight almost like a fight of the year comeback of the year thing which we kind of yeah. talked about earlier uh but also i mean like anytime and also a stakes thing a level of competition you know you get that kind of finish in the main event against such a tough opponent you get kind of bonus points for it i mean it was just also a great submission as well speaking of that because you left off of this list here tell me a guy in a main event with a unique submission against a tough opponent tommy aspinall straight arm locked alexander volkov and that's Mm -hmm. not even like you don't see straight arm locks he did it against a very tough guy it was his breakout performance like I think that's my number two uh, at the year so far. And to not even see that on your kind of runner honorable mention was a little surprising to me, AK. Well, uh, inside baseball, we were supposed to make these lists together. 
Uh, I was left to do it on my own devices. So thank you, Jen, for adding it. <laughs> and, I would, and I would actually rate my personal, while I do like I do like Oliver Gaethje, I would actually put Oliver Poirier ahead of it, uh, which I was last year. Never mind. Sorry. That was, was gonna December. Say, I think, yeah, yeah, that I was December. I was thinking like everything's yeah, molded together. Everything's molded together. From, I was like, that was December. Hold it on. Is, never mind. I believe that one. did make a top. Yeah. I want to say that did. I'm pretty sure yeah. in our top five, maybe top I was, three. But the same thing with Oliver Gaethje, kind of the same thing there with this. Like it mm-hmm. would be like that could be number one. Mm-hmm. If not for the just the ridiculous rarity of Jessica Andrade, because I think like beating like tapping out Gaethje the way he did because it was such a big fight, number one versus number two, or however you want to rank him, that means more. But come on, that's like pulling off a Goga plotter or something. Like you just don't see a standing arm try. Like it literally had been ten years since Jessica I did it to, to Zoila Frosto and Bellator since we could talk about it. So it's kinda like when uh you know, when Olenek pulls off the Ezekiel choke for the first time, you're like, what in the hell is this? I've never seen, what is going on here? Like, you just don't see that happen. It's, it's funny you mentioned Gogo Plata because that was one of our runners up for anyone. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll run through some of these quickly. And again, uh, like I said, it literally, uh, you guys already pointed out a few uh, worth mentioning, but uh, Said Nurmagomedov was like a 46 second guillotine choke of uh, Cody Stamen. Uh, a guy who's going to be in the UFC literally any day now, Abdul Abdur, Abduragimov, uh, the lazy, or better known as the Lazy King, uh, doing a crazy inverted triangle, or it's like a reverse inverted triangle, like from behind. I don't even know. On uh, Godofredo Pepe, uh, Joyce Amara versus Isabella de Padua. This is the Gogo Plata I was referring to. At Brazilian Fighting Series Seven, actually choked her unconscious with the Gogo Plata, which is pretty rare. But again, also maybe just indicative of the the um, level of defense. But hey, uh, uh, Isabella de Padua, she she fought in the UFC. That makes her legit, right? And uh, Roberto Satoshi at Ryzen 35 against Johnny Case. Just, again, spectacular submission finish. You guys can check that out. One out on um, all the links will be in the article, guys, for if you want to if you want to play along at home. We'll have links in the article where you can watch all these finishes. Here's a um, quick here's a, here's a quick test. Yeah. What is the greatest Goga Plata submission of all time? I can oh, say Brad Imes. Back to back. Brad Imes. No. no. Gomi, Gomi no. Diaz. Gomi no. Diaz. No contest. No. What do you mean? That's a no contest. We don't no. talk about that because it's uh, that crap. fight it's a, that fight is officially stricken from the record. Uh, no. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm sorry. It will Brad never be Imes stricken hit, from my record. <laughs> Brad Imes, heavyweight, whatever, sexy cowboy, the, the, whatever. The, the, the hillbilly, hillbilly heartthrob. Don't, hillbilly do, heartthrob. Don't, you, don't you disrespect the hillbilly heartthrob. <laughs> Honestly, sexy cowboy is a better nickname, frankly. <laughs> he hit back-to-back go-go's, and it's still one of the funniest things in MMA history to me. Those are the best go-go's. I don't care who he did the over. It's still incredible. <laughs> I don't know why I remember his nickname. I really don't know why I remember it's a good being <laughs> I, uh, ultimate fighter alumnus, by the way. Lost uh, in the finals. Finalist. Finalist. Rashad, Rashad Evans. Rashad, Rashad Evans. Evans. Yeah. And Rashad Evans at heavyweight looked ridiculous. Especially as Brad Ons was like six He's eight. Gigantic. <laughs> He's an enormous human. That's a very fun fight to watch. Uh, am I forgetting any other submission mentions, guys? Anything anyone else you guys want to throw out there? No, but I'm excited to go watch Godofredo Pepe get tapped. I didn't know that, oh, that happened. That, that seems cool. So that submission is so sick. Pepe is like a sneaky, weird grappler too. He's, he's good. Like, he's flying, triangled or armbarred Andre Feely. Like he's he's crafty dude. So if he got inverted triangled, I want to watch that. He's actually still been doing damage like on the re- like he has like he he's one of the guys that's like finish finish or nothing. Like he gets he's had a lot of good finishes on the regional scene after um, get a good guy, baby. Yeah. All right, well, we'll touch upon now, guys, before we get to our predictions, last one, most memorable moment. We were kind of split on this. I think two of us kind of leaning one way, two of us leaning the other way. Uh, so, <laughs> Chad, I'll let you go first. I know you've had a lot of fun talking about this incident. Um, I'll, I'll, you know what? You, you can introduce it. What, what did you think was the most memorable moment of the first half of 2022? This is just a weird category because if we're trying to keep it 
relatively positive because yes. I think there are some more very memorable, very negative things we're going to not dive into here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the story of this year moving forward in the next couple of years, the thing that I'll remember about 2022, at least thus far, is Charles Oliveira botching weight. Like outside of the fact that it's a first that's ever happened that a champion lost his title in the UFC on the scale, which is insane to think that this is the first time. Uh, everything that surrounded it was just sort of weird and insane. The the narrative about, well, the broken scale and or what the tampered with scale, and now the UFC is going to hire a security guard to monitor the scale at the hotel. It's all, all of it got weird and sort of blew up and into this huge thing that has mattered a lot. And it's only going to continue mattering because for as much as people you know, AKA I'm not going to put words to your mouth, but seem to just kind of be writing this off as, okay, he's still the best lightweight in the world, yada, yada. History books aren't going to show that it is. This has adversely affected his claim to lightweight goathood. And sure, maybe he'll get there, you know, whatever we can't, I can't say what's going to happen with Chucky. I was moving forward, but the reality is he didn't get a title defense for Oliveira. He's not going to get a title defense for his next one either. He will have two separate title reigns. And if you are just, you know, in 50 years when nobody remembers what has happened and you're just quick looking back and be like, okay, well, who had the longest title reign? It's not Charles Oliveira. He had, he, you know, he had two short ones or whatever. It, it just, it all matters, even though it kind of shouldn't. And it's all very dumb because I still don't understand how it happened. He had an extra hour to lose half a pound and couldn't do it. And nobody has adequately explained it to me because his answer has just been like, whatever, I'm the best, which <laughs> is sure. You're not wrong. Except if you are, cause it's a mock going to work you, but that's a different thing. But it's just like, okay, if you're the best, why can't you lose a half pound in an hour, man? Like shave your head, do something. You didn't even try, like do something. You can, I, it boggles my mind. And the fact that we all just blew past it. We're like, yeah, he just didn't make it. It's fine. The scale was weird. Like it's, I don't understand. And we're never going to know. It's going to be a great mystery to me for the rest of my life. Uh, as I've said before, that's because ha- not having the one pound allowance for championship fights is dumb. So that's why a lot of, it's very easy for us to blow past it. Well, I agree. Yeah. But a lot of things are dumb. Uh, look, I know, I th- but you're asking I why. How, how are you, how are you saying that? It's very dumb. And how- yet we still operate in the world with it. Hold on, AK. How are you saying uh-huh. that, Mister Rules or Rules? Come uh-huh. on, what are you? How he are you saying the rules. half pound Listen, doesn't matter? I mean, does come not. on, oh, rules, 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 rule. You know what rule is good? The one pound allowance rule. It's a great rule, <laughs> and it should be applied to championship fights. That's a great rule. I love that rule. So that rule should absolutely be adhered to. And uh, in my mind, he did because again, it's meant to. It's it's one of the things that's meant to uh, accommodate potential scale screwiness, which is exactly. Well, it's not exactly. Allegedly, what happened in this instance, and. Maybe you know, so he 40, barely missed. What does it matter? Twenty-eight other fighters made weight. That's all I'm saying, man. And they were all I half just... over. They're all like, ha- like it's it's silly to me that another lightweight fight can be on the bout, and that guy's one fifty-five point five, and then Oliveira can come out in the same weight, but because it's a championship fight, we don't give the allowance, and he's not a lightweight. Like that's I agree. That's I fundamentally agree with the silliness. It makes no sense, right? But it is like this is just the world we live in. No, and that's and fine. you know and what I... else is silly. The champion of the world who has been a professional fighter for half his life in the last 15 years can't lose a half pound with an extra well, hour. Well, well, man, a lot of fighters That's will tell you though, silly. Whoa, 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 a lot of fighters will tell you that once they stop the weight cutting process, it's very hard to just like start it up again. Like that's not that's not inexplicable at all. That that's not inexplicable at all. And by the way, I will also say 
not once, Chad, have I ever said that he shouldn't have been stripped of the title. Notice I, that. You, Notice that. I, I have been very firm with saying at, I agree. I'm not here coming at you about your takes here. Right. I'm here coming at you about your takes of saying rules rule. Would uh-huh. you have like strongly gone against that for the past three months? One pound allowance should be the rule. It's a great rule. I, that, I love that rule. But it's not the rule. Rules, but it should be. Yeah. So the rules you like rule, the things you like rule, which is okay. That's how listen, all of us go through. Certain but don't, rules. Don't certain build rules, a motto to no, no, put no, on merch. Listen. And then not adhere to it. AK. Certain That's rules. This shirt that listen, those shirts are uh, still in production. There's been a little bit of, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a uh, supply shortage. Uh, <laughs> but listen, uh, so, sometimes rules contradict each other. I think that's one of these situations. And so I had to pick a rule. You got to make hard decisions in life. That's what a man does. And I'm picking the rule that I think makes the most sense to me. Um, I don't even know where to go with this. Uh, Steven, <laughs> Steven, I don't know. You, you've Get a seen, room, you too. You've seen, you've seen the, the claims from us. Uh, well, really only a few fighters, uh, surprisingly, the ones that actually did miss weight and cost them, Charles Oliveira, Norman Dumont. I think I can't remember if anyone else mentioned. Some people were saying that like them being a pound, pound over was a bit odd. And uh, there's been a response from the commission or at least Mark Ratner to say. Um, so people have talked about it. Now it is, it has kind of blown over as Jed kind of mentioned. We kind of, it was, it was a, a story in the moment. It's certainly one we're going to talk about for a long time, but everyone has just kind of like, there's no like real outrage. I don't know. How much did this kind of bother you when it happened, if, if at all? Uh, it just reminded me that your mileage may vary when it comes to MMA regulation. Sometimes, I mean, the, the situation that I thought of right off the bat was the GSP Diaz thing, where the UFC shows up and says, 170.2. Hey, yeah, it's cool. If you're over, it's cool. It's, it's fine. It, you know, and then somehow the same, uh, the same sort of, uh, <laughs> deference doesn't get paid to somebody like Charles Oliveira. It, you know, it, 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 he just happened to get a stickler. Um, I, I am baffled as well uh, that, that he wasn't able to, to lose a half pound. I think it's just very stupid, but I think that at the end of the day, he had to make championship weight. And that's the, that's the, that's the beginning and the ending of it. If we want to change the rules, we should change the rules. We should go through the processes, but he was supposed to make weight. He didn't his, I don't know why he didn't shave his head. I don't know why he didn't, you know, do the things that he had to do. I understand that it's extremely difficult to, when, when you stop sweating to get going again, but the, you, you got to make weight, you know, a- any of these counter arguments, like, couldn't you just do this? Couldn't you just do that? You have to make weight. And the fact is that he kind of gambled and lost. He came up with a stickler. The scale was a certain way. Um, they relied on a scale that wasn't calibrated correctly. Apparently, um, that's there. That's on them. You know that that scale is should not be relied upon. The the one back at the hotel. It's 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 the official scale, and it's nothing. And they're supposed to sync these things. You know, they're supposed to make it easier. So the UFC didn't necessarily do him any favors. But at the end of the day, it's like strict liability. You know, it's in your it's in your system. You know, you have to, you have to do this. This is part of your job. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the way I feel about it. That's it's, it's, it's a, a shame. And I think it's kind of bizarre that Charles kind of went the way he did, but I can also see that because fighters are so, they're such creatures of belief. You know, they have to believe when nobody else does, they have to believe against all odds that they're better than everyone else, that they are going to survive this thing, that they're going to be able to, to beat their opponent, no matter what. And I think that Charles was essentially trying to protect himself, you know, by, by not letting anything shatter that image. And so 
in a sense, it's, you know, it's, it's the same thing. He goes in there, he gets paid, he gets pay-per-view points. My biggest thing is give him the pay-per-view points for the next time out. You know, if you're not going to give him the title, at least give him the money, you know, it's like, because belts, you know, you can't cash belts, you know, you can't <laughs> checks are the important thing here. So, um, kind of went off on a tangent there, but, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, it was, it, the whole thing was just really dumb. I mean, look, the fact that you kind of went off in so many directions with it is kind of justifies why it was one of our picks for one of the best moments of the year, because it does kind of touch upon all these other all these other um, things about MMA in this in this one incident. Uh, and thankfully, again, we still ended up with a fight and a really entertaining fight. Damon, you're kind of a wrestling guy, I think, on on the staff. Uh, so you've seen, you know, you, you've kept up, you keep up with a lot of wrestling, of course, weight cutting a huge part of that. Have you ever seen anything similar to this in wrestling or in any sort of combat sport? I mean, oh, I mean, I mean. Even further to that extent, I mean, uh, the last Olympic Games, Jaden Cox was, uh, you know, scheduled to oh, wrestle at 197 pounds. He would have challenged uh, Kyle Snyder for the spot on the Olympic team. He had a weight cutting problem that morning, and they didn't allow him to wrestle, so he got pulled. Now they ended up having a best of three match under Rudis a couple months ago, and Kyle Snyder won. But that has no idea that's how it would have played out in the Olympics. His Olympic dream was taken away. And then, of course, we can't forget Daniel Cormier, the 2008 Olympics. He went in, had struggles making weight. His kidneys shut down, and they pulled him from the game. So he didn't actually get to compete at the 2008 Olympic Games. So those are two prime examples well, he was of that. a medal favorite, too. I yeah. Just, just, to, just to make sure that's Yeah, and also in wrestling, you know, again, it's different because you also have to weigh in the morning of. Like, you don't get to weigh in the morning before. It's the morning of, so you have less time. So those are a little bit more extreme cases. But, yeah, I mean, Jaden Cox missed out. He was a bronze medalist in 2016. He didn't even get to wrestle at the 2020 Games or get the chance to wrestle for the 2020 Games. And, you know, again, Daniel Cormier. So those are probably the two biggest examples of guys who had lost the most uh, in those moments. Um, you know, Jaden Cox, a monster. I don't know that he would beat Kyle Snyder. I think Kyle Snyder is the best American wrestler, you know, not named David Taylor right now. But, um, you know, yeah. I mean, or excuse me, uh, Gable Stevenson, I should say. I just, I forget about Gable because he's already gone to other things. But, um, yeah, like Jaden Cox. He's gone to real wrestling, Damon. Yeah, he went to real wrestling in WWE. Yeah. Um, hey, Kate, do they have weight issues in real wrestling? I'm, I'm not a wrestling guy. And and, and uh, pro wrestling. Did, did Ric Flair ever miss weight? <laughs> you know, it's you know what's amazing. I want to say no because they they have done weigh-ins. I don't think any <laughs> promotion really? has. I mean, it's like as a you know as a joke. I don't think any promotion has ever done a missed weight angle. What's funny is like I think when when he was in WWE and correct me if I'm wrong when CM Punk was in WWE because they always inflate everyone's weights in pro mm -hmm. wrestling so like CM Punk was billed at like 220 and then like yeah. he fought in the UFC 170 like he was yep. he was like 190 soaking wet and they're like <laughs> weighing in at 225 pounds from Chicago Illinois CM Punk I'm like this dude does not weigh 225 yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, some, some exaggeration in the world of real wrestling, as we put it. Uh, but, uh, you know, not not enough that anyone should question the integrity of the product, certainly. Uh, listen, people know I love weigh-in drama. So uh, this was almost too much for me. Like, I was like, this isn't the kind of weigh-in drama I like. It's really since, yes, I'm a Charles Oliveira stand. So seeing him rightfully, rightfully stripped of the title, that hurt me. That, that, hurt, that hates, I hate to see it because I know he's the best lightweight in the world. But guess what? He doesn't have a UFC title around his waist to prove that right now. So, uh, you know, hopefully that'll be resolved within before the end of the year. But uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, this, uh, our other choice, I think, uh, Stephen, you can take the lead here. Our other choice uh, for me is a little more satisfying. I think a little more positive, though, I guess until we see the end of this story, maybe we won't know for sure. Um, so, Stephen, what did you think was the um, the most compelling or memorable or whatever, however you want to phrase it moment of the, the first half of the year? Francis and Ganu wrestling. <laughs> 
at UFC yes. seven, <laughs> 270. <laughs> and it's not just how he wrestled. It's, it's, it's wrestling under the circumstances that he did. Um, wrestling like I said, with my, a, a domineering promotion too. Yeah. Wow. wow. Nice. Domineering promotion. There was so much going against him leading into this. And we didn't know the, the half of it leading in um, as, as, as spectators. We didn't know the half of it. And the fact that he went through um, all that he did, the, the injured knee, um, the, the promotion's apparent knowledge of the injured knee, um, his contract situation, you know, I don't, I don't know to what extent people have heard of some of the behind the behind the scenes of this, like in terms of what was happening backstage at the actual arena the day of, um, but there was uh, just so much going against him and to do what he did, considering all that he's been through his, his story, it makes sense in a way because the guy has been through so much. The guy had to literally go across an ocean in a dinghy with, you know, eight other guys several times, uh, lived in a parking garage for two weeks. You, th- you think, okay, well, I guess it makes sense. But in this context, in this sport, in the history of this sport where so many people do not come out ahead, do not come out with any leverage. They're, the UFC is very good at that. They're very good at time, almost too good at it. You know, you think like, is there some, you know, conspiracy here or are they just, it is part of the reason why they're, they've, they've held such a dominant position for so long because they know exactly how to time these things. They know how to set them up, you know, to, to take fighters out on a loss. And I'm sure that, you know, you guys would be a lot better than I would about remembering all the times where, you know, somebody was just on that cusp of sort of having some leverage and then losing, you know, whether they were headed out of the UFC or, um, you know, sort of between contracts. So um, Francis is the interview that he gave with Ariel um, describing all the circumstances. I mean, it's just, it's hard not to see it as just this, this kind of watershed moment. Like you said, Alec, uh, uh, AK, we don't, we don't know how it's going to turn out. Um, but just the fact that it happened is, is really, really unique. Yeah. And, and I, I'm glad you ended, uh, sort of that, that thought that way, because I was, Jed, I want to ask you, does this, does this moment become diminished or become a blip? If this just ends with Francis Gandhi saying, I'm resigning with the UFC. I don't, you know what? We came to an agreement. I'm probably not going to be able to box, but I'm just coming back and and I'm, I've signed a four six. I've signed an eight fight contract with the UFC. I mean, does this moment stand on its own, regardless, or will you be a little disappointed and kind of like, well, now it's now it's just another fight if um if this kind of ends back at uh, back at square one. I think, however this plays out, this moment will just sort of go by the wayside and won't be a hmm. this kind of turning point moment the only out the only way that this would be and i think if this were to happen this would obviously be the most memorable the biggest story coming out of this year is if this led to substantive change towards the ufc fighter pay or, or anything in that line i just that's just not uh, what's going to happen here. i was gonna say so we won't so okay yeah, so, so we know where this is. And so, <laughs> so yeah so yeah. if francis resigns it's everything you said okay this was just a title win great title win in a fight that things were stacked against him, but he's back. And if he leaves, then it's like, okay, that's, it's, it's more meaningful, but it's still, the UFC is going to put a belt on the winner of John Jones, Stipe or Tai Tuivasa or whatever. And 
nothing's going to change because there's too much momentum. And so that's why this wouldn't be, that's why this wasn't my pick for kind of most, whatever we're calling this, just because I think in the, in the here and now, this is, this is very big and matters a lot and certainly dominated the early parts of the conversation uh, this year. And I think as we get closer to December, we'll again, start to redominate the conversation, but I think it's not going to be a thing we, we talk all that much about moving forward. So, yeah, you know, unfortunately, I, I wish that this would be the catalyzing moment where everybody would be like, oh, our heavyweight champions getting actively screwed by the promotion. If they can do that to him, they can do it to me. We should do something about this. But that's not how that's going to work. So we're just where we are. Uh, David, I think you were kind of split on the two moments, right? You kind of you 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 understood the, the you know the, why um, the Oliveira weight miss was you know such such an important story of the first half, but also I think you you in Ghana thing as well. So um, where are you leaning now after kind of the discussion we had? Do you think they're about about equal, of equal import, even though they kind of cover very different like subjects, or um, do you think one's clearly stood out more in the first half than the other? Well, I think when you talk about again, we're talking about the biggest moment of the first half of the year. So we can't we ha- we can't look at this in hindsight yet because we don't know how it's going to play out. You know, is Oliveira is the is the is this going to be it for him? Like if he fights Islam Makachev and he loses and he never gets the title back, that becomes an even bigger moment because then he just doesn't become champion again. Like he lost his belt on a weird, you know, rule with weight cut, and then he gets beat by Makachev. Or, or he, listen, I'm not going to lie, I think Benil Dariush is a very tough matchup for Charles as well. Benil's, you know, incredibly good fighter if that happens. Like, I think both of those are really tough matchups for Charles, if I'm being completely honest. Um, but, again, that could be a watershed moment for him because he never gets the title back. That would be crazy. And same thing with Ngannou here. I think, you know, Ngannou, again, what happens in December? Does he leave? Does he get a, a really good deal with the UFC to come back and gets the – a boxing match with Tyson Fury, whatever it is. So I think a lot of this, you have to base it on right now, right here, right here in this moment. I think, and based on that, to me, it's still Ngannou because he's a sitting heavyweight champion of the world who defied the UFC and said, I'm not signing your deal. I mean, they were pulling all kinds. I mean, we heard in the interview, they're pulling things on Fight Week trying to get him together. They're filing lawsuits against his manager for allegedly, or threatening lawsuits, excuse me, threatening lawsuits against his manager for allegedly talking to Jake Paul's manager. They're they're sending him contracts. I mean, they're messing with him days before a heavyweight title fight. That should tell you how serious this moment was. They took it seriously because... What, they'll never say it. Dana White will never say it. Hunter Campbell, they'll never say it. But they did not want Francis Ngannou to win. They wanted Cyril Gon to win and move on. And then if he left, they're like, well, he lost. We don't really care. Now they've got their heavyweight champion of the world. Whether you like it or not, still probably the most important title in the UFC because everyone loves heavyweights. Uh, maybe not throughout all time, but right now it's still a big title. Uh, to have the sitting heavyweight champion defy everything the UFC wants and say, I'm not going to re-sign with you unless you give me what I want, and I'm going to walk away from this promotion, from this title, from this money, from everything, and basically screw you guys. I'm doing what I want to do. I just think that is such a, again, it, it, looking in hindsight six months from now, if he just re-signs, does it all go away? Sure. But right now, in this moment, six months into the year, I don't think you can have a bigger moment than the sitting UFC heavyweight champion of the world basically saying F you to the promotion and saying, I'm not taking your money. I'm not I'm not falling for your threats. I'm not falling for your whatever you're trying to do to me right now. I'm going to win. Even though I got one knee, I'm going to win. 
I'm going to take my title and I'm going to be a free agent in, in 12 months. And then let's see how you deal with me. I just, again, I, we haven't really, you know, not since like Randy Couture challenged the UFC when he tried to fight Fedor back in the day. And that ended in disaster. Uh, has anyone really truly stood up to the organization to this level? And I just think it's a, a huge moment. Again, I'm judging it right now, six months in, this to me is the biggest story. It may all go away six months from now, but right now, I just I, I can't think of a bigger moment than that moment. It is amazing though, Damon, that you pointed out that we're almost for, with both our both the sort of choices we went with here in Ganu and Olivera's weight miss. Like we are, we're, we haven't got, we've only gotten like half, if that, of the story of the of this the story. I mean, we're fitting because it's half a year. Whatever happens over the next year, the next eighteen months to both these guys is gonna could completely recontextualize how we view how we view these moments and, and again that, that's there's there's kind of a fun to that too a fun for us not so fun for the uh for the fighters involved but uh uh yeah thank you guys no those were those were both i think i think both great picks i i i'm definitely with both of them um i'll tell people now it sounds it feels weird to say honorable mention moments so we'll just say this is the kind of the options we've thrown into the uh the poll that you can guys find on the website um so along with those two ufc london of course the ufc london extravaganza just one of the best uh, you know, well-booked and well-executed cards. I mean, all the fighters they want delivered delivered in, in the most spectacular way. Uh, you have a card like that maybe once every two or three years and, and it just paid off beautifully. Um, Eagle FC. Eagle FC landing. The Eagle has landed in the U.S. Uh, even in Michael Medov's promotion, its first card, held its first card in uh, January. They've had, what, two, three cards now in the U.S.? Three cards, yeah. Three cards. And uh, again, we kind of had a discussion a little bit about this internally, like uh, how much is this registered on like a wider scale? But we'll tell you guys, we'll tell you right now, again, back to this inside baseball stuff. Uh, the attention that Eagle FC gets on our website, it is already kind of surpassed some of the um, more familiar, better known promotions that have been out there for longer. So this promotion is here to stay. You know, they've, they found, again, they've got a, obviously a huge name behind it and they've kind of found the right mix of veterans and competitive fights and ideas that um, it's really drawn people in. So we'll see, we'll see uh, a lot of time the rest of this year and next year, how much, how far can this promotion go? But uh, you see, uh, there's a lot of fan, fan push behind it. So uh, the great moment there for that, for Eagle FC, of course. And then also <laughs> if you want to get into the seedier side of things, people, the uh, Colby Covington, uh, or a Masvidal feud kind of boiling over one with a fight and then uh, another fight um, allegedly that occurred afterwards. So uh, that's still allegedly. Result as well. allegedly. allegedly, of course. Uh, forget all the pictures and and uh, Jorge himself recording videos that maybe suggest that uh, it's not so alleged. But all right, everyone, thanks for tuning in to our midseason awards. Now we were originally going to do this and the predictions together, but uh, we ended up recording enough for two shows. So please uh, wait, uh, stick around until. Sunday, I guess, and uh, you'll have the second part of this where we talk about what we expect could happen in the world of MMA uh, in the next six months. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. 
more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.